Welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host, Kevin Paneskis. Hi, Kevin, Property Soldier here. Welcome to this episode in which I'll be covering alternative acquisition strategies for your serviced accommodation units. Firstly, what I'm going to talk about is management, so managing other people's properties as serviced accommodation. So you can take a property on straight management agreement and fees are a percentage of revenue. So all the bookings that are coming in for the property, you will charge the owner of the property a percentage of that revenue. So often for full management, it's between 15 and 20% for you to manage that property. So think about it a little bit like a letting agent who takes on somebody's property and they're going to be letting that out for that owner. And the letting agent is charging a percentage of the the rent. So that's the same. It's a percentage of the revenue coming in for the property. So they take the letting agent takes their fees and gives the remainder to the owner minus any other fees that they take out. So there might be some maintenance or other things and they might take that out of the revenue and then pass the remainder to the owner. Well, Service accommodation management works pretty much or very similar type model to that. So all the bookings are coming in via the different online portals like booking.com, Airbnb. It could be direct bookings direct into your own website. So you're not paying um, uh, online travel agent fees or whatever. Direct bookings coming in over the phone. And all the revenue is collected and you're managing the property. You take your percentage, whatever is agreed as your management percentage off that revenue, and minus any other costs like laundry and uh, cleaning, all those things. And you literally pay the remainder over to the owner of the property. So in a lot of instances, owners can get more than normal buy-to-let rent by letting you manage their property as serviced accommodation because the the profit quite often comes in higher than it would do if they were just giving it to a letting agent and then, and just getting straight by to let rent. Now, all costs are paid by the owner. So the owner still pays their own gas and their electric and all of those things. So all costs paid by the owner. It can be on a, a split of profit basis so you can structure it exactly how you wish so it can be that way but all the risk sits with the owner it's a lot of people get into service accommodation systemize their business so they understand it and then they get into managing other people's properties and it's worth mentioning that all all the risk does sit with the owner if the the revenue that's coming in um isn't high as managing the property you're still going to take your percentage of that revenue and pass the remainder to the owner so the risk needs to be highlighted that the owner could potentially get less money than they would do if they let the property out as buy to let so full management then the different things that are taking place with 
fall management, taking bookings, taking the payments, guest communication, advertising the property and all the different online travel agents. There were over 30. Then preparing the, the property, so units preparation, getting it ready for the guests. Meet and greet, so there could be meet and greet going on with the property or it could alternatively just be key code entry if there's no meet and greet but uh, arranging that then the cleaning and the laundry is a huge part of full management managing the the cleaning and the laundry and scheduling that in and maintenance taking care of all maintenance that needs to happen to the property so that is full management and for full management typically that could be 20 percent of revenue charged for full management but you know it, as opposed to buy to let you know the the rent for a buy to let you know let's say there's a property that rents out for 800 pounds per calendar month and uh, but letting agents typically don't have to do a huge amount and so their fee typically let's say it's 12 percent of that 800 pounds it's quite a modest amount but for full management of a service accommodation unit, the exact same property, the turnover coming in could be two and a half, three thousand pounds. And the extra management involved in operating and running a service accommodation unit reflects the extra income. So, a, you know, a percentage of that larger turnover is what you can earn doing full management of other people's properties as serviced accommodation. The other model for management is cloud-based management or bookings-only management. It, it can be called different things, but ultimately that's where you're just using your systems to manage other people's properties, but you're literally just taking the bookings. A couple of other things really, yes, you're taking the bookings, you're taking the payments, you're doing the guest communication, and you're advertising the property on all the other online travel agents. So that would be the bare minimum really for doing cloud-based management different people are doing management and they offer other services as well but um, as a bare minimum that would be what cloud-based management or bookings only management would be and then all the other things so the the maintenance dealing with cleaning and laundry meet and greet unit prep maintenance all that all those things would be covered by the property owner so that's that would be the difference so cloud-based management just really taking the bookings and payments and guest communication etc so the way to, to think about that is cloud-based management you're literally just delivering the guest to somebody else's door and they take it from there Okay, so if you own buy-to-lets already, we're going to talk about buy-to-let conversion now. If you own them already, you can convert them into serviced accommodation. So you've got to do your due diligence first. We covered due diligence on uh, another episode, but you've got to do your due diligence to make sure that there's the viability and sustainability of service accommodation exists um, for that property in its location. You've got to consider your strategy regarding your current tenants. Do you serve them notice or wait for them to leave voluntarily? Well, my, I've got quite a large buy-to-let portfolio at the moment. And the way we are doing it is as and when tenants move on, we decide whether or not we're going to use the property as serviced accommodation. We haven't actually served notice on tenants who 
are doing nothing wrong, uh, for want of a, a better uh, expression. So I've had to evict a couple of tenants. I had to evict two lots of tenants on two different properties, one in Plymouth, one in Swansea last year. Um, why did I have to evict them? Because they were not paying rent and not looking after the property. Uh, so yeah, I evicted those. One I've turned into service accommodation because it works where the property is. Um, the type of setup of the property will work as service accommodation. The other one, after doing my due diligence, I decided it doesn't. So I'm not actually interested anymore in acquiring new buy-to-let tenants. So I'm actually, the one that doesn't work as service accommodation, I am selling that property and I'll just be redeploying the money into service accommodation units. So that's my strategy regarding current tenants. Um, whatever you decide to do is completely up to you. What, one thing that has to be mentioned is that once you start using uh, property as service combination, you've got to have the appropriate insurance in place. So you need a, a an SA, a, a service combination insurance broker or a broker that can um, source you the right insurance product. So an SA insurance, short stay holiday let type product for you, not buy to let. Buy to let insurance does not cover you for serviced accommodation. You're going to need to switch borrowing potentially if there's borrowing on the property. Switch borrowing or get permission from the lender. We're going to cover that in more detail on a later episode. And furnish or upgrade um, the existing furniture. So you've got to tailor the property depending on your, your target market and present it accordingly for whoever is your avatar if you like who's likely to be coming and staying in your property but again I'll be covering this in more detail in a later episode. So one property in particular the one in Swansea that I repossessed (laughs) I actually got it back in an absolutely shocking condition and bizarrely on this particular one I mean I'd had it let through a letting agent the letting agent came highly recommended quite often unfortunately with tenants is they they turn up um, and they behave like Mary Poppins and sometimes they they pass the credit checks etc but pretty soon they turn into Freddy Krueger obviously not all just some but every now and then if you've been doing property for long enough as I have you're going to end up with problem tenants it's as simple as that it's it's bound to happen eventually if you have um, quite a few uh, buy-to-lets it's going to happen And so this particular house, I got it back and apparently the tenants were actually taking a hammer to the walls even before I started to evict them for not paying me any rent. So that was quite an interesting thing. Obviously, the adverts came on and they thought, what should we do now? I know, let's take a hammer to the wall. So, hey, these things happen apparently, but I got the property back in an absolutely shocking state. So that was towards the end of last year and... It went live as serviced accommodation at the end of September. Now, my buy-to-let rent on that property was £495. That's when I was getting the rent. (laughs) Uh, My cash flow, taking out other costs, was roughly £150. But my serviced accommodation profit, so that's after all costs, my serviced accommodation profit in my very first month of operating that particular house was £1,045, which is just incredible. A lot of people, when they want to know why I'm more interested in service accommodation right now over buy-to-let, well, that's why. Okay, my average 
service accommodation profit from October through to January. So the reason I mentioned this is because that's over the winter and typically the quietest averaged out at £850 profit. So that's why serviced accommodation. And that's why I, I convert properties from buy-to-let into service accommodation. And, and I'm not talking really fancy houses either. This particular property that I just spoke about is a two-bed terraced house in a city, Swansea. Nothing fancy about it whatsoever, but it works. And our typical guest, if you like, that come and stay in that property are tradesmen. So for tradesmen, it's a significant saving for them. Um, they would normally stay in guest houses and B&Bs and we put twin beds in the property, in the bedrooms, and there's a sofa bed. So it sleeps five. And people trades can stay with us for five people. That would be about £150 per night. Well, between £150 and £200 per night, depending on the, the rates, the seasonal uh, rates at the time. And that saves them a lot of money on hotels and they're not spending money at the bar. They're not eating in the hotel. And so it saves them a lot of money. But we uh, we also make a lot of money, a lot more money from that property as service accommodation. So hopefully that makes sense. So you can also buy property to do service accommodation with. So purchasing for service accommodation. We'll cover again the due diligence in another episode. But one thing that you should focus on when you're buying to do service accommodation is buy, refurbish, refinance still applies. So you can still add value to a property, hopefully get it below market value, add value to it, refinance it to be able to recycle your cash. It's one of the fundamentals of property investing and I implement that with service accommodation too, absolutely. You should be buying to spec so what is your avatar? What type of property do you want? What type of person is coming to your area? Where are you going to be able to add value and be able to realise an uplift in the property's value to be able to pull your money back out? And so all of the normal property investment strategies apply. There might be a situation where you're literally just buying a property that doesn't need a refurb. It could just be buying it good to go. We actually bought one that came furnished and it was ready. It needed nothing doing. So this was an apartment in a block and we, we just bought it good to go using other people's money. And that property, it services the, the debt, if you like. We we're able to give that individual a, a much better rate of return than they're getting in the bank. And we just went out there and, if you like, went shopping for property. Uh, on right move and bought it to spec using other people's money and we use that as service accommodation so you've got to consider when you're buying the maintenance the ongoing maintenance of the property now, now the typical thing to consider there is does it have a garden because if it has a garden then you're going to have to keep on top of that garden obviously during the summer there's going to be regular visits cutting grass hedges etc so whatever the ongoing maintenance you've got to uh, Pay attention to that and add that into your costings when you're doing your due diligence. With apartments, if you are going to be buying apartments, you have to consider that there are management fees and ground rent to pay. So add that into your your costings to work out what your set monthly costs are going to be. But you've got to remember on apartments, I've got to make this very, very clear, that there are some leases prohibit service accommodation use. 
Not all apartments are going to work as service accommodation. Many don't. Guess what? You focus on the ones that do allow service accommodation use. The ones that don't, my opinion is there's no point in taking a risk on it. Now, in the lease, it might say owner-occupier only. It might say AST only. It might say no holiday lets. Guess what? If it says that, then you shouldn't really be doing service accommodation in that property. So I just want to make that very clear to people. Focus on the ones that do work. Let's face it, a lot of people are just taking a bit of a commercial risk on that. There are, I'm, I'm aware of blocks of, of apartments where the leases actually say that you can't do service accommodation there, and but there's a lot of people doing it and they've been doing it in there for years and clearly they're just making a decision that if they ever get told to stop it, then they'll stop it. But I just need to highlight that part of the lease scenario to people because let's face it, forewarned is forearmed on that side. And then what is your exit strategy? So at the moment, as far as I'm concerned, serviced accommodation is the best income generating strategy today for somebody's property portfolio or even somebody else's. You don't have to own property to do serviced accommodation with. So that's why I'm doing it today. But what is the exit strategy if things change? I personally don't think they're going to change for a long time. I think this service accommodation is going to continue growing and be a fantastic strategy for a long time. But if it doesn't work, what can you do? Well, guess what? You could sell the property. You could change it to buy to let. You could change it to HMO, for instance. So what is the exit strategy? Just be aware what you might be able to do if service accommodation doesn't work with that property in the short term or even in the long term. Okay, so purchase funding then. Let's talk about that. You can use commercial finance. And commercial finance is definitely uh, our preferred way of funding our service accommodation units. One of the, the main reasons for that is that commercial lenders will do a valuation based on a multiple of income. So often they will value the property an awful lot higher than its bricks and mortar value and you can lend a percentage of that higher value. And so quite often we will choose a lender. The main lender we're using at the moment is Lloyd's and we'll choose Lloyd's in order to initially purchase because then when it comes to the refinance, we can get a commercial valuation on that property. So hopefully that makes sense why we might go down you know, the Lloyd's route rather than or commercial lender route rather than going straight in with a high street lender because the high street lender if they're doing a service accommodation product they might not or more more often than not they won't lend on a multiple of income valuation so there are more and more high street lenders coming in with products that are suitable for serviced accommodation and i think year on year we're just going to see more and more products available they are quite thin on the ground at the moment but they are coming online as we speak. Then there are bridging. There's bridging finance. And on another episode, I'm going to bring in one of our mortgage brokers who can tailor you to the right lender and also tailor you to bridging finance. And there's a quite a, a really interesting product that he is able to source for people, which is a bridge to let product with some lenders. And 
It's typically more expensive than normal lending. Not much, though, uh, you know, including so 5% total, including 2%, but total just under 7% um, interest. And that bridge to let product, you can be on that until you get the credibility. And so you've been operating for a set period of time, whatever the lender's criteria is. But as soon as you've been operating and you can show that your accounts and your credibility and you know what you're doing with your business, you can then replace that bridging with the same lender to a bespoke serviced accommodation product. And so that is a really good way of people getting purchase funding for their um, when they're starting out in serviced accommodation before they've got their credibility in place so then there's cash you can you buy buy using your own cash or other people's cash absolutely typically if it's other people's you're just going to be giving people a much better rate of return than they're getting in the bank and use their money for purchasing serviced accommodation and joint ventures, you can set up a, a special purpose vehicle. So you can set up a limited company where you're a director, the person bringing funds in, for instance, they're a director in the limited company. And that limited company can be buying property to do service accommodation with. There's vendor finance. Vendor finance is really exciting. This is one of the things that in 2010, when I first started uh, getting properly trained in in, uh, property investing, blew my mind that the seller of a property can fund your purchase of their property. So how does that work? Well, you buy the property in the normal way, however you're funding the purchase of that property. And then once that's all done and dusted, once it's completed, once the money has gone into their bank account, then they can loan you back a a percentage of that money. Uh, A a specific deal that I've got in mind is I bought a property for 180,000 and it was unencumbered. There was no mortgage on the property. So 180,000 went into the seller's bank account once it completed. And then I afterwards borrowed £70,000 from that person, giving them a much better rate of return on their money than they were getting in the bank. So that's vendor finance, really useful. So with that £70,000, you can you pay back your investor if an investor lent you the money to buy the properties. Typically, this works better with commercial funding, commercial lending, etc., because um, it's a lot less strict in terms of where deposits come from. And you can re- replace the deposit funds if you borrowed the deposit funds uh, or or and or you can use the money for refurbishing a property and then later on you re- refinance that property on its new value and then you can be pulling the money back out of that property to give back to the vendor to replace their money with their interest. So that's vendor finance. Brief, briefly, it's really... Um, exciting way of being able to purchase property so crowdfunding as well the numerous crowdfunding websites out there you can just google it and um, you can raise money for your property purchases via crowdfunding websites pensions it's really exciting right now that people can use their pensions on another episode of the podcast i've, I've actually interviewed uh, a chap called andrew who has used his pension fund to invest in property and more specifically serviced accommodation property. So different pension funds, you need to seek 
IFA advice. So an independent financial advisor's advice on this. But you can get a SIP, a self-invested personal pension. That's for one person only. Or you can get a SAS, a small self-administered scheme. That can be up to 12 people in a SAS. So a SAS, it can be for one person, but it can be up to 12. The SAS can lend funds to other companies earning a good rate of return. So that's really interesting that the SAS can then lend money out. So you can transfer your money or your pension fund into a SAS and then that SAS fund can lend money to other companies earning a good rate of return. Both SIPs and SASs can borrow up to 50% of their value. So that's really cool. Can borrow up to 50% of their value as a mortgage in order to purchase property. Now, both can purchase commercial property, but one thing that's worth noting is that certain types of service accommodation property is C1 commercial, and therefore it can still be owned and retained inside of the pension. So you can use your pension funds to purchase and keep serviced accommodation. So that's really interesting. What I'm going to talk about now is lease purchase options. So what are they? You can take control of a property and you literally just need to get solicitors to draw up a lease purchase option for you. So you have a solicitor representing you and you get a, a solicitor to represent the, the seller, if you like, of the property. So you take control of the property. You've got to pay your solicitor's fees, but typically you might just pay... Uh, a nominal fee of a pound to actually take control of the property. The Millennium Dome, for instance, changed hands for a nominal fee of one pound. So you take control of the property with the right to buy the property at a set price. Um, and you might have, let's say, for instance, 10 years to exercise your option to buy the property at that price. So let's just use a round figure. Let's say you take control of the property with the right to buy it for £100,000, but you've got 10 years in order to exercise your right to buy the property at that £100,000. And so you can literally start using the property as you so wish. And then when you decide to exercise your right to buy it, you can buy it at the agreed price. And it doesn't actually matter what has happened to the market. The property could be worth £100,000 five years, £150,000 five years later, you still get to exercise your option to buy it at £100,000. A lot of people might be listening thinking, why would people do that? Well, I've done it. Some people just want to walk away from their property and you can be paying them an option fee. So you can be paying them a monthly amount for their property. That's absolutely fine. But they just want to walk away. They, they, some people could be in negative equity. Whatever the situation is, they just want to walk away having tied up the deal. And then you use the property until such time as you exercise your option to buy it. So then there's commercial conversions. You can purchase a commercial building. It could be offices, pubs, could be a B&B, could be an industrial unit and convert it into serviced accommodation. So I'll be, I'll be talking about capital allowances in another episode. But 
Capital allowances are really exciting when it comes to service accommodation. And one thing that's worth noting that if you convert a commercial building into apartments, let's say, and those apartments are then used for buy-to-let, or those apartments are sold on, the developer cannot claim their capital allowances or cannot claim much in the way of capital allowances. But if those uh, that property is converted into apartments, let's say, and retained and used as serviced accommodation, then hundreds of thousands of capital allowances can be claimed. So I'll cover more on capital allowances in another episode, but I just wanted to make that point on commercial conversions when uh, capital allowances are considered. Then there is a straight lease. Contact a commercial surveyor. That's one way of, of taking on a leasehold property. So you can contact a commercial surveyor and ask for to, for that surveyor to look for C1 property. So it could be a guest house or a B&B. Typically, you might ask the surveyor to look for a short lease because then it's going to be a lot cheaper if the, the lease is short. You might look at lease surrender. So somebody might have got themselves in a situation where, you know, let's just use some round figures. They're paying £10,000 a year and they've got the lease and they are contractually bound to pay that £10,000 a year to the freeholder. And if it's a B&B, a lot of people get into B&B and after a year or two, they realise that it's an awful lot more work than they thought. And they might be willing to do a lease surrender so you could just split the difference with them. They could uh, walk away and you take the property on for less than £10,000 per annum. So that's a lease surrender. But ideally, the reason why this is a really cool strategy is it could be a property that is suitable for serviced accommodation already. So it could be a C1 property where you could let it out as serviced accommodation, turning it into what's called an apart hotel, where you're letting the property out as SA by the room. But you can put some cooking type um, appliances into each room. Normally, you would do it en suite, but it doesn't have to be en suite. And so people can just go and use the property as SA by the room. But you can also convert the owner's accommodation into uh, rooms. You can convert the kitchen into rooms. So you can maximise the earning potential of that property to use it as serviced accommodation. So taking properties on a lease is also a really good way of doing service accommodation so i hope you found this episode useful thank you for listening and here's to your success in service accommodation thanks for listening to the serviced accommodation property podcast if you have any suggestions on future content for this podcast please message kevin via his facebook page property soldier 